You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. And our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, then you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Thank you for listening here on these iHeart Indianapolis stations. My guest today is Chris Gray, who is the executive director of the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling, which is an organization. Well, let me ask you what the organization is dedicated. Instead of putting in my own words, what does the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling do? And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, what the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling does is we are an advocate for people who have an issue with gambling. And as an advocate, we um, we go to the state house to advocate for more funds to help problem gamblers to make sure that there are resources out there to help problem gamblers. We do have a website, IndianaProblemGambling.org, which problem gamblers and their families can visit. And on there, we have treatment providers. We also have a link to the GA meetings. We also have a link for family and friends of problem gamblers so that they can try to understand what is going on in their world and also uh, attend possibly Gammonon meetings, which also, which help the families and friends of people who have problem gambling. We also uh, help ab- uh, treatment providers get their CEUs so that they can help problem gamblers and treat them. And we also try to get the awareness of problem gambling out there, which uh, has, I don't think, is out there as much as some of the other addictions. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed looking through your website. You had a lot of great information there, including a gambler self-test, which kind of helps people identify some of of the issues. The conversation around drug use or alcohol use kind of fills the mind of most people when you talk about addictions, but gambling may not be necessarily top of mind. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the uh, a person's addiction to gambling? What may that look like in someone who has an issue? Well, um, some of the warning signs are uh, changes in personality, their mood swings, that kind of thing. Um, it, it occupies their mind all the time. It affects, uh, family functions. They may not be present to, uh, go to family outings and that kind of things. Uh, they are, they don't tell you their losses. They will tell you winnings. If Mm. they go out and gamble, they will tell you their winnings. And it affects, um, the finances. They're not able to pay some of their bills. So there's several warning signs out there. Okay, and I noticed on your website that there were uh, two classifications, and I don't know if there are more, but you identified that 1% of gamblers will become pathological, while 2 to 3% of people who participate in some form of gaming will become problem gamblers. What is the difference between a pathological and a problem gambler? Well, a pathological gambler is one who cannot stop, no matter what, um, and, and it affects all aspects of their lives. And they may lose, you know, they may lose everything. And most pathological gamblers probably do lose everything. Their relationships suffer. Uh, they they can't. The, the whole focus is on 
trying to chase the money and constantly spending more and more money to get that that what we call that high. Right. And where a person who may have a problem with it, it'll affect some aspects of their lives, but not every single aspect. One percent, two to three percent. Those don't sound like very big numbers. Well, when you consider the po- the uh, the population, it, it can be a large number. Mm. So they say, um, you know, in in Indiana, if you take the one percent, I think it it would it could affect six hundred thousand people. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So that's one percent of the population. Not and gambling in Indiana has really expanded too, and that's uh, so it affects more of the population. Um, in my lifetime, I was born in 1983, and gambling of any form really didn't exist in Indiana. I don't believe until 1988 when they started the lottery, and we've seen a rapid expansion um, since the lottery came in in Indiana since 1988. Um, what are some, let's just kind of take a look at that because the, the benchmarks, I, once you really look at those points in time, it's striking how quickly the government in Indiana has started to rely on this revenue Yes, that is in a lot of ways dependent on a, on a compulsion and not necessarily a voluntary activity, um, in some ways. Uh, so the lottery comes in in 88. It's approved by referendum. And then how does it start to expand from there? Well, expanding from there, uh, well, I th- I think charity gaming was either sometime around the lottery or maybe even before. Okay. Which charity gaming includes bingo. Um, I don't know if you know, but the Colts and the Pacers both have 50-50 raffles. At the Colts at the game, games. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you can win like $50,000 in some of yes. those. Yeah. Yes. And now, of course, sports betting. But um, charity gaming includes bingo, raffles. When you go to your organizations that have uh, casino nights, that kind of thing. Poker tournaments. Yes. And we've we've had the lottery. We've had horse racing. We've had the casinos. We now have um, sports betting. So over the past 25 years, more and more types of gambling have been approved. And yet the amount of money spent to help problem gamblers has not increased as much mm-hmm. as we would like to see. Yeah, you know, the starts with the horse racing and then now they have slot machines and now they have live gaming tables. The river boats get approved, then they get to expand to their on ground areas, then they you know so it, it has expanded. Can you talk a little bit about um the the sports betting? Because I have friends who now, you know, you see some of these, they're on their phone, they're playing on the apps. It's not going yes. to a casino necessarily. What has been the impact? A, what happened? And B, what has been the impact of the the live sports betting on the Hoosier community? Well, what has happened is that they have approved sports betting, and it was in the casinos, the brick and mortar, as we like to say, in September it opened. By October, it was online, which Mm. meant you didn't have to go to the casino to bet. You can place your bet from the comfort of your living room in the comfort of your pajamas. And since that time, there has been uh, the wagering for the year to date as of December 2019, $429 million, over $429 million has been wagered in sports wagering. So that is an 
astronomical amount. And the interesting thing is I looked at the um, the numbers for December of 2019 as far as just wagering at the casinos as compared to December of 2018. And the numbers are not that far off as the amount wagered. And yet sports betting has increased the wagers every every month that it's been doing it in it has an effect. I guess what I want to say, it has it has not affected just wagering at the casino. So you've got wagering at the casino that is pretty much consistent. And now you've added on to that sports betting or sports wagering and $429 million since October through December of last year. That is an amazing amount. And I think we've seen, at least I know for myself, I have seen uh, a slight increase in calls that I have received from people asking about problem gambling Hmm. and what they can do. Which is to be suspected. Um, But let me push back on you just slightly um, and and ask you kind of your opinion of gambling at large. Uh, You know, are you completely against the expansion in Indiana of of these various types of betting or are you like yeah it's a voluntary activity people choose to do whatever they like to do you know you just have to be smart about it like where do you come down I don't I mean you personally not your organization but if your organization does take a stance let me know well let me put it the organization is neutral Mm-hmm. And because we feel, you know, 95% or a little bit more than 95% can gamble responsibly. Right. Uh, but it is the, there are a few out there, you know, like we said, 1% are pathological, 2 to 3% have, have, may have a problem. It is those people out there that we want to help. And so our feeling is, is that if the state is going to continue to legalize more and more types of gambling, then they, they sh- it should be the responsibility to help those who may have a problem with it so put aside more money to help people who have a problem with gambling personally um i would say that once you speak to the problem gambler or the family and friends of problem gamblers it's really hard and, and I want to state this personally, it is really hard sometimes to hear these stories and to know, just like any other addiction, that this is this is going to affect them the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And they are going to have to constantly be working on this. So when you see some things like that, it makes it, you know, you, you kind of want to say, um, we need to maybe step back. A minute before we go ahead and because I know there's still some legislation out there to add possibly more um, gambling in maybe some of these um, veteran places and like a VFW. Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, and possibly at gas stations. And I mean, (laughs) if, if you look at at our neighboring state, Illinois. Illinois has, you know, I like to say you can step outside your door and probably gamble at a, at a slot machine. Mm. They have allowed quite a bit, even more gambling than Indiana. And, and at the same time, they did give a large amount 
to the state to help problem gamblers. And and so as an organization, we are neutral on it. But I'll, I'll tell you, when you have to deal with it, it, it is tough. Yeah, those those interpersonal connections. And may I ask you, how did you get involved in this? Why is this so important to you? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, um, I worked for the Gaming Commission for 20 years. Hmm. And so I saw, and one of my departments was the, uh, I was a director of compliance. And we had under that the umbrella of compliance was the VEP program, the Voluntary Exclusion Program through yes. the state of Indiana. So um, I would see the issues that would come up with that, as well as uh, we handled patron complaints. And the number of people who feel that if I play X amount of time or X amount of money, I should win the big jackpot. It's amazing the people who feel that way because that's not the way it works, right? And so uh, when it when this became available, the the executive director of the council retired, and I was made aware of it. And I had been wanting to get into something that was not for profit, and so this became available, and I took it, and I I was offered the job and took it, and then on top of all that, I have. Um, a family member that is an addict. So I know um, from the family side of it how hard it is to deal or and, and be a part of a, the life of someone who has an addiction. So that was another reason why, you know, this particular job um, was interesting to me. How long have you worked there? I have worked there um, almost three years. Okay. Now. Mm-hmm. And and the organization is about how old? Oh, the organization has been around since I believe it started in 97. Once they, um, once the legislators agreed to have the casinos or made it pass the law that, that we could have casinos, they did state that there should be a council for problem gambling. You're listening to Now Hear This with Chris Spangle. I'm talking to Chris Gray, the executive director of the executive director of the Indiana Council on Problem Gaming. If you want to reach the Indiana Council on Problem Gaming, you can give them a toll-free call at 866-699-4274. Or if you or a loved one think that you might have an issue with gambling, please call the phone number one 800 9 with it. So you talked a little bit about funding and the legislature needs to do more. What would you like to see in terms of that, that phrase, do more? Well, one thing I would like to see that they would give more to um, problem gambling, people who actually have a problem with gambling. The The thing is, is that we haven't had a really good study done in years hmm. to see how much it has affected gambling um, or, or how many people out there actually do have a problem with gambling. There is a gambling assistance fund out there that has been around for at least 10 years and... Out of that, about $3 million has been put into that fund every year. And out of that, 44% of that goes to treat substance abuse, which hmm. is alcoholic, alcohol addiction or drug addiction. And I would like to just see more money put into the problem gambling part of it. 36% of that is for treatment of problem gamblers. I'd like to see that amount increased. 
And also with the sports betting bill that just passed last year, 3.33% of the money that's taking in taken in tax-wise by the state of Indiana is given toward treatment of addiction with at least 25% of that going toward uh, gambling addiction. I would prefer to see more than 25% go toward problem gambling, but we, we'll see. Is this funding for treatment, is that basically funding programs to fund salaries so treatment is free or at a discount? How does How are the funds actually applied where the rubber meets the road? Well, currently, there is um, some treatment is set aside for um, to treat problem gamblers. If you have insurance, that's a good thing. If you don't, that's where it gets really hard or tricky. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just like to see more funding being set aside so that it's free. Instead of, uh, there is, a, I believe it's a sliding scale. So depending on, also, it depends on the insurance that you have. There is some funding out there, but I don't feel it's enough to really help those who have a problem because once someone is willing to admit they have a problem, they don't have the funds to pay for the treatment. Yeah, I would think that once they've admitted it, they may not know how to get help. And so awareness, how, how does awareness factor into the usage of funds? Well, the awareness is we there is an 800 number. Uh, and if you watch the ads on uh, TV with the sports betting, it's 1-800-9-WITH-IT. That's the Indiana uh, 800 number. There is also the National Council on Problem Gambling has an 800 number, as well as the Council on Problem Gambling. We have an 800 number. And um, so the num- there, there's a number out there to to call to get the initial help. I I sometimes get the calls and I I do the best I can to help that person by letting them know about GA meetings, that there are treatment providers out there that can help them. I sometimes uh, give them, I've been given the number of two people who are in recovery, one male, one female. I usually, depending on who's calling me, if it's a female, I give them the female's number. If it's a male, I give them the male number to be able to at least talk to somebody who who has been in that position, who knows what it's like, and who can answer any questions they have. So there there are resources out there and if you go to the webpage, um, we have a web we have a webpage. It's indianaproblemgambling.org. The uh, Indiana Gaming Commission now has a page or a yeah, a web page dedicated to problem gambling. They also have a lot of the same information we have on our web page. So if you go to the Gaming Commission website, uh, you can just Google uh, Indiana Gaming Commission and get to their website, and they have information there. There are ways that uh, you can sign up for the Voluntary Exclusion Program, either directly with the casino or through the state of Indiana. If you do it with the specific casino, you are only excluded from that casino. But if you do it with the state of Indiana, you are excluded from all casinos in the state. Plus, normally if you exclude yourself from a casino in the state, any casino that 
that company has in another state, you are excluded from there as well. Yeah, so give a little more information on the the voluntary exclusionary program because I I didn't know about this until I saw it on your website. You can basically put yourself like on the equivalent of a no-fly list. What the voluntary exclusion program does is it's up to the individual Mm. to not go on to the casino floor. If you are caught on the casino floor, which normally uh, a lot of times people get caught – when they win a large jackpot and have to show identification, oh. then uh, you forfeit your the jackpot. Well, okay, so they take away right. the they, incentive essentially, right? Yeah, and, and can you play the lottery? Can you do charity gaming? Like how how exclusionary is it? Well, uh, the voluntary exclusion program through the uh, gaming commission is for. Casinos, and they also have one where you can sign up for sports betting as well. Okay. The lottery also has a website that you can go online and ask to be excluded from being allowed to get lottery. But I, I don't know how you know that one is a tricky one. Sure. So, but but there are there are sites out there that you can go to if you need to to get excluded. You mentioned a lack of a study, so you may not know this, but, you know, in terms of from horse race gambling to now table games to um, the various, the lottery, the various forms, like, is there one form of legalized gambling in Indiana that you see is a problem more than others? I would probably say, um, I, I don't, I don't know. There I don't know, okay. to be honest with you, because there's been no studies, and I think it just depends on the individual. You know, I mean, I've heard stories from people who have issues with scratch-offs to people who have problems at the slot machine or table games to now sports betting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm already getting, you know, people who have an issue with sports betting. You so. mentioned off-air charity gaming as yes. well. Um, I we did have um, a speaker one year when we give um, we give training sessions as I mentioned earlier to help treatment providers get their CEUs and we have speakers come in and we had a speaker one time come in whose problem was with uh, bingo. That's, so that's that fascinating. One. You are trying in uh, you're trying to raise awareness by designating March Problem Gambling Month. Is that correct? Well, March is actually nationally known as Problem Gambling Month. The National Council on Problem Gambling was the ones who, they were the ones that got the national, to get it nationally recognized. Uh, I'm working on getting a uh, resolution that to make March recognized in Indiana as Problem Gambling Month, but it is nationally recognized. Okay. And what effect do you think that would have? Well, the effect on that, just like any other organization, is to have a month dedicated to bringing about awareness of the issue, of the problem. The reason why they picked March, March Madness. Ah, Basketball, okay. Okay. yes. Yeah. And if you go on the Indiana Gaming Commission's website and you actually look at some of the numbers of where a lot of the betting is happening right now, right now it's football. Football has been the largest where most of the wagering has been done in sports betting. And right after that is basketball. So the reason why March was picked was because of the whole March Madness and the NCAA 
basketball. It's one of the biggest um, tournaments out there, and there's a lot of betting going on for that. And if you see family members, because I think it's one thing if you're listening to this and you listen to the beginning of the program where we talked about, you know, what are some signs in yourself? But if if you see someone in a loved one, what are some ways that people can approach someone that they love that might be effective for if you want to mention some of the non-effective ways too, that might be helpful. But I think it's hard when someone when you suspect someone might have an addiction, how do you broach that with them? Well, I'll tell you, it is not easy. And once again, I fall back on some of my experience. Uh, most of the time, the uh, you know, you love that person so much that you don't realize that you're enabling them. Hmm. And one of the things that a family member can do or a friend is go to a meeting if possible to Gammonon is the gambling one and interact with other family members who who are in the same situation that you are so that you can possibly learn how not to enable. That's one of the big things that you can do to help not enable them in the first place. The hardest thing to do, I'll tell you, is when I get a call in from a family or friend who want to help the person, but until that person truly admits that they have a problem, it's really hard to get them to go to GA meetings or go to any, you know, addiction meeting um, like AA or, you know, to to a drug meeting, drug anonymous. I think it's narc, 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 uh, narc, something. Yeah. And to to really go to those, the person has to admit that they have an issue and that's the hardest thing. So I would probably say the best thing you can do if the person's not going to admit it is get into a uh, gammonon and try to learn how not to be an enabler. You can also call uh, treatment providers to ask for help. So that would be, you know, that would be where I would suggest. Yeah, I love that idea. Kind of get yourself prepared, uh, kind of find out from other people who've been in your shoes, kind of maybe the lay of the land a little bit because it can be scary, but with information that takes some of that fear out of it and maybe you will avoid making some mistakes. Uh, we've got just a couple minutes, but I think I'm going to institute shameless self-promotion time. Learn this from my mentor, Abdul. Uh, what is, is there something that you just are burning for people to know or understand just the floor is yours if you want to tell the people something that you just like want to shamelessly self-promote go for it okay one of the things that i do want to say is this is an addiction it is uh it is recognized as an addiction by mental health people and to not be ashamed to come forward and admit that you have a problem with gambling, that it is affecting your life, and that you do want to get help. And one of the things that I think that is hard, when we when we did the sports betting thing, one of the things that was not, I'm sure, not truly considered was the effect that it will have on the athlete. Hmm. You know, when when we approved of this, how how easy are we going to make it for the athlete to come forward and possibly say, hey, I have an addiction to gambling? Hmm. Are we going to make it tough for them? Are they going to, if they're a, a, 
pro player? Are they going to lose their job? Are they going to, you know, how is it going to affect their life? As well as the college athlete. Do we think about the effect that it'll have on the college athlete and whether or not they can come forward? The coaches and the athletic directors are, are they going to be, um, you know, we hope to educate them in the future on, you know, signs of problem gambling and what to look for, how to talk to the players about it, that kind of thing. So, you know, when they approve some of these, these different ways of, of gambling and gaming, you know, did they really think about the third party that this will be affecting? And on top of all that, it's one other thing that we're looking at in our industry or in for the people who advocate for people who have a problem with gambling, not only gambling, what about gaming? Yeah. You know, how many people go out there, loot boxes, skins, you pay to play. I got. That's I, I spent thing. way too much money on Farmville. I'm not going to lie to you. And it, <laughs> and it got a little scary where I was like, I need to delete this off my phone. Yeah. Because I mean, it was, it was like, I'm wasting money on absolutely nothing but a serotonin box. Right. And, and there was a woman um, on the Today Show a couple months ago who talked about spending $4,000 on virtual tokens. <laughs> she went to a gambling website online and they give you so many tokens to play with, but once you go through all of those, then you can pay to get more tokens, yeah. more lives, more skins, more loot boxes. You can pay to get those, but they're worth nothing. And you, and you know, people who are are a, who have a problem with this, it's all about the rush, the high that they yeah. get playing this and getting to the next level. The whole focus is on either getting to the next level, winning more money, you know, that that's the whole focus. And that's that, that there's a also a problem, not only with the gambling part, what about the gaming? Yeah. And I think with some of the gaming uh, apps, watch it with your kids too. I mean, I'm well, thank you so much for joining me, Chris Gray of the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling. I truly appreciate your time. If you want to reach the Indiana Council on Problem Gaming, you can give them a toll-free call at 866-699-4274. Or if you or a loved one think that you might have an issue with gambling, please call the phone number one 800 9 with it. Thank you for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact our friend Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next week with Now Hear This. Was America founded on oppression? Or have we always strived towards a higher ideal? This is Caleb Franz, host of Profiles in Liberty, and I am very excited to let you know that the second season of the podcast is now airing. Every Thursday, join me on a journey of discovery as you hear about the men and women who fulfill the promise of 1776. Season 2 of Profiles in Liberty, The Equalizers, is now airing exclusively on the We Are Libertarians podcast network.